As COVID-19 forces us further into the digital life, our virtual customer experiences take center stage in shaping our perspectives of brands. Along with that, we as customers have increased our expectations of brands, perhaps more than ever. As this difficult crisis unfolds and levels the playing field for brands, some may earn our loyalty while others may lose our trust. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Thriving in Volatile Times. Today, we will explore beyond the COVID-19 crisis and the opportunities arising for brand trust, customer loyalty and digital engagement. I'd like to welcome Matt Collette, Vice Chair of Digital at Adamant Asia, Leora Novizi, Deloitte Digital Partner for Melbourne, and Pete Sedivy, Asia-Pacific Deloitte Digital Leader. Welcome all and thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Since the onset of COVID-19, our lives have all undoubtedly changed. Although we may not know which new trends are here to stay, how have consumer behaviours and expectations changed? And what does this mean for brands? Yura, perhaps we can start with you? Sure. Look, I think there's no doubt we've seen years of change, really, um, condensed into two or three months. So I think in terms of expectations, they've absolutely changed, particularly for digital interactions with brands. So when I talk about that, I'm talking about things particularly like e-commerce and service support. And that's because more people have now experienced those digital interactions than they probably ever did before. And it's worth also pointing out that expectations won't just be formed by their interactions with your brand. People are going to bring their expectations of experiences with other brands to yours and definitely not necessarily sort of from those product categories either. They're going to bring all of those expectations to the way they interact with you. In terms of behaviour, I'm probably a little bit more cautious on calling out big lasting swings, which might be a little bit controversial, but I do think behaviours are kind of hard to shift. So is three months long enough to completely redefine behaviour going forward? I'm not sure. I think the mix has definitely changed. I think we've seen people move much more towards digital. Will that kind of percentage stay the way it is when things kind of return to normal, whatever that normal might be? I don't think so. I think we've seen a bit of a glimpse of the future, and I think that fit the needle has definitely shifted, but I think behaviours themselves are hard to change. It will be very interesting to see once restrictions lift um, in those countries that still have them in place, what that looks like. And Matt, what about you? Yeah, I agree with Leora. I mean, I think that what we've seen is people have been forced up, you know, adoption curves almost overnight with traditional barriers such as inertia having been eliminated very, very quickly. And, you know, I think the point made around e-commerce is certainly something that I'm, I'm looking at. Uh, I think what's going to be very interesting coming out of the current lockdown that most uh, countries are in and in a back-to-work scenario is how is that going to impact uh, e-commerce strategies, specifically around B2C platforms and what they're going to do uh, from a direct-to-consumer perspective in terms of, you know, being dependent on um, Alibaba or Amazon, for example. I also think that people have also diversified their uh, channels with respect to from a social uh, perspective. So, you know, previously dominated by Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, for example, now we're seeing people on LinkedIn and now we're seeing people using other platforms such as TikTok, uh, Discord, Telegram, Reddit. Um, all of these have seen you know, tremendous increases in usage over the past the last couple of months. And it'll be interesting to see if these things continue to be the same, which I expect to a certain degree they will. So, you know, how companies 
uh, choose to engage with consumers across traditional social platforms versus new ones, it's going to be interesting to see. And I think the last point I'd make is just around content. I think there's sort of been a bit of a return to uh, lower expectations around the production values that are put into content. You know, we've seen the likes of Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, et cetera, a lot of news anchors doing and hosting programming uh, from their home. And as a result of that, I think people have gotten used to a little bit more raw content and a little bit more of that DIY spirit that has come into the creation of content. And I think that's going to extend past the end of the lockdown in the future as well. And that's going to impact how uh, brands think about how they pull content together and, and communicate with uh, with people. And Pitt, do you have anything yeah. else to add? Yeah, sure. This is Pete. So just to maybe add something onto that, I'll look at it in the context of the economic slowdown that we're seeing as a byproduct of the pandemic. And if you think about what determined the winners and losers in prior economic slowdowns, you know, it was typically the companies that could offer lower price points with quality. So bringing value for quality to their product offerings. And those were the companies that you would traditionally expect to do well. So a typical reaction in a period of economic slowdown was some retrenchment, some corporate fiscal austerity and cost cutting and trying to ride out the dip in demand while maintaining and potentially gaining market share. This economic slowdown because of the pandemic is very different. So what's separating the winners and losers here in the early days of economic shifts and buying pattern behavior shifts is really the ability that companies had to reach their consumers through digital experience, right? So pretty much across the board, you know, there's a few exceptions and grocery has gone up because people don't go to restaurants as much. Streaming services have gone up, but exceptions aside, general consumer products, industrial products across the board have seen a reduction in demand. And when we talk about the next normal and what things will look like when economies start opening up again, you see these predictions that maybe economies will be running at 85, 90% of where they were before because there's a dip in demand and something's gone out of business. And the question will be, which I think is probably the case, is will it be this shift in consumer behaviors and channel touch points that continues to define who does well and gains market share versus who struggles and potentially goes out of business? And, and we've seen that, I know, with our clients. You could pretty much pick any consumer products category and the brand's that really had great customer experience, online experience through social media engagement, uh, key opinion leaders and key opinion customers, e-commerce channels and effective data analytics behind that to properly target and respond to customer needs. Those are the companies that have gained market share. That was more important than the, the product itself that they were selling. Now, Pete, I wanted to build on top of what you just mentioned. In response to the shifts in customer behaviors, what are some new ways brands have been engaging and working with customers to find innovative ways to drive revenue? Most of what we're seeing is trends that were progressing anyway, which have sort of accelerated or where some companies were ahead of those trends. You know, I'll take an example category, you know, cosmetics. All right. So you would think, well, you know, cosmetics would not do particularly well during a pandemic. Who's really concerned about their makeup? Right. But actually, cosmetics overall in, at least in the China market, which went through their earlier phases, dipped a bit. But some brands that had these really effective online marketplace presence, strong brand, their own brand.com and social media presence that had kind of a large community of key opinion leaders, you know, they were pretty advanced in some of these early trends around social commerce, social selling, engaging with customers, 
from a CRM perspective through typical chat tools like in China, you know, WeChat or um, the equivalent WhatsApp and in other parts of the world. And so those that social CRM, social selling and consumer engagement, you know, those were the they were on the cutting edge of that. And some of these companies have done fairly well. That's where they've taken quite a bit of market share and companies that were much more store channel driven. They're the ones that really struggle as the stores closed down and they just couldn't engage with their consumers. They lost relevancy quickly. And so those are some of the trends I'd, I'd expect would stick around. I know a lot of our clients at Deloitte are, are trying to play catch up on. And Matt, do you have anything else to add? I, I don't really have anything to add in terms of how companies and their customers are finding, you know, innovative ways to, to drive revenue. I, I think, you know, we have to look a little bit beyond just the, the, the revenue piece to also how they're, they're potentially building brand affinity. And I think specifically around CSR, purpose-driven initiatives, there's been some interesting things that we've seen over the last couple of months on platforms um, like this uh, Facebook or, or Instagram or even TikTok, where those platforms have launched uh, donation buttons or, or donation stickers that have allowed companies and communities to come together um, to support various different initiatives uh, together. And this has really helped to build greater affinity for those brands and, and sort of built a, a greater sense of uh, camaraderie within within those communities. And so I think that's something that we've seen that's been pretty interesting over the course of the last couple of months and will really define uh, a lot some of the views that people have about those companies as we come out of the, uh, the lockdowns in, in many markets. Now, it has perhaps never been more important for leaders to successfully understand their customer journey. How are brands reviewing and redefining their digital customer experiences? Matt, what are your observations on this? Existing customer journey maps will definitely have to be uh, redrawn. The consensus seems to be increasingly shifting towards the idea that behaviors consumers adopted during COVID-19 will become part of the behaviors in, in the future as they form these new habits. And, and I think that there's a, a couple of points to consider as part of that. In a back-to-work environment, you know, people are still going to be sensitive to potential second wave of infections and the importance of social distancing. I think that the second point that I make on this is with respect to, you know, how companies are going to, um, as the data comes in and how they, as they see new pieces of information, how they're going to deal and navigate with new friction points that may not have been part of the customer journey in the past. From a B2B perspective, we already know today that, you know, 70% of a, a complex sale is, is generally self-guided by the buyer themselves. Uh, Post-COVID-19, I guess the question is how much of that purchase process uh, will vendors be able to influence, you know, via, via face-to-face conversations um, in the new normal. And from my perspective, I think that the evidence is pointing to uh, even less reliance on vendors than ever before and more independent research. There was a study that was done by eMarketer recently or published by eMarketer recently that showed close to one-third of B2B buyers said um, they would need more quality and accurate content in the future about what they're buying compared to pre-COVID times uh, because of the fact that, you know, what they could do in person can now be done um, digitally or over a Zoom call. And that I think that also speaks to, you know, how companies are going to adapt from a marketing and sales perspective with things, you know, that Pete mentioned earlier, such as social selling, for example, or even account-based uh, marketing strategies that they may put in place. I think my last point on this is that, you know, what customers potentially cared about, and, you know, Pete touched on this a little bit earlier as well, uh, cared about before COVID-19 might not be the same thing earlier. Brands with the best price, coolest product, or most memorable marketing campaign might not have an advantage compared to those that exhibit or did exhibit some emotional intelligence 
and communicate it with care, authenticity, and empathy and build a trust with um, their stakeholders and, and customers during the pandemic. And I think, you know, I came across a very interesting website a couple of weeks ago called uh, didtheyhelp.com where, you know, people have been rating uh, the responses of celebrities and large uh, companies and brands positively or negatively based on the actions that they have undertaken during uh, the pandemic up until this point. And I think that those kinds of things are going to have a long-term impact on how people uh, perceive those brands and, and their willingness to purchase from them. Well, that's interesting. Leora, what about you? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, look, it's similar. I think the whole redefinition of customer experience is not simply a case of, I guess, moving your focus to digital channels and digital engagement. So there's no question that, that digital has accelerated, but the way that customers are living their lives has fundamentally changed. It's, it's a very unique situation. I can't think of another time where, you know, trying to redefine the experience for your own customers is so affected by the experience that's going on from everything else. So it's not just about um, trying to move people along an ideal customer journey just for your products and services. Everything's being impacted. So some of the best customer experience work that I've seen is taking a very, very holistic view and, and actually seeking to understand how customers' lifestyle has shifted through it. And what I mean by that is not just with their organizational brand, but with just literally how they're living their lives. One of the best examples of that at the moment that's become very, very real with e-com is obviously last mile delivery and how much of an extension of the digital experience that is of people's brands and how that has had to change to cope with all of the other external factors that we need to think about in this environment. And, and the kind of lack of control, I guess, for many brands in that last mile delivery, but the the fact that that really is the first touch point now um, physically for a customer with the brand with no retail store to go into. I know, Pete, I'm sure you've got some views on that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And last mile delivery is another one that China was a pretty advanced market in that area. And as the sh- shutdowns happened in China, you know, there, there was some strain on the you know online commerce to delivery logistics so you especially like food delivery so you had a lot of the restaurants they were closed and they actually loaned out their restaurant employees to uh, some of the meal delivery organizations in these kind of partnerships so that the restaurant employees kept a job and it satisfied the demand for meal delivery but outside of that in terms of buying every all the household goods and all the things that people may have bought online in the past the chinese last mile delivery infrastructure was able to absorb a lot of that demand because they have this singles day sale which is like uh, like black friday in the us and it's their biggest shopping day it's just some unbelievable you know 32 billion in sales in a few hours type of figures the rest of the world i think is catching up to that you know and in in markets around Europe or in Germany where online commerce was even a lower percentage, they struggled the most with fulfillment. We saw it in the US where Amazon had to prioritize orders and focus on delivering priority goods. And now we're working with clients on some test markets with self-driving vehicles. The stores can be the distribution centers and then these self-driving cars can go and drop off the package and send a call and the person comes to the car and picks up the package. So all kinds of experiments happening around that. And I think, you know, that's the kind of futuristic scenarios that we could have envisioned. And this situation has just sort of pushed them to the forefront. Edelman released a great report on how to maintain brand trust throughout COVID-19. Show up and do your part. Don't act alone. Solve, don't sell. And communicate with empathy and facts. Matt, Can you share with us your top takeaways from the report? 
Sure. Maybe just a little bit of uh, context around those four first. Uh, basically, you know, Edelman has been publishing a yearly report called the Trust Barometer for the last 20 years. We've actually been able to, and it essentially measures credibility in institutions and, and companies. We've actually been able to show correlation between the performance of these companies and the amount of trust that customers and stakeholders have in them with respect to their financial results. And this year, while we release the report on a yearly basis, generally in, in October, uh, this year we'll release a special report in April, specifically around um, the coronavirus uh, and the trust um, that people have uh, in uh, companies and what their expectations are uh, around the pandemic. I think for me, the most surprising piece of information that came out of this was that 65% of people said that how well a company responds to the coronavirus crisis will have a huge impact on their likelihood to purchase from them in the future. That 65% was the global average. Uh, in China, that number was 88%. In India, 79%. And in South Korea, it was 73%. So we need to index slightly higher um, out in this uh, part of the world. One third of respondents have already convinced other people to stop using brands that are not acting or how they viewed uh, those brands is not acting appropriately as a result uh, of the, the pandemic, also built on the same idea of trust and credibility in those brands and, and how they should be responding. That also uh, indexed slightly higher in markets like China and India, where the numbers were 76% and 60%. So I think, you know, the expectations from consumers in terms of and uh, stakeholders with respect to brands, you know, has changed dramatically over the last 20 years. Some of the other uh, outcomes from the study is that, you know, brands have to do everything that they can in order to protect the well-being of fun and financial security of their employees and their suppliers. Even in the expectation uh, from customers as well as stakeholders, well, even if it means that they have to suffer big financial losses until the end of the pandemic. There was also an expectation that brands will use their creativity um, to make products specifically designed to help with the challenges that people are facing today. And I think, you know, in addition to that, uh, at a time when actions have spoken more loudly than words, brands must still carefully consider what they say and how they say it. Transparency, empathy, and compassion matter most. According to the survey, nine out of 10 people want to understand exactly how brands they are using are supporting their employees and customers, how they're responding on an ongoing basis to the pandemic, and what they're doing in order to uh, continue to support people, uh, even as we move through different phases of this pandemic. Two and three, uh, or 61% of them said they simply hearing from a company about what it's doing in response to the pandemic, it was comforting and reassuring to them. So I think clearly, you know, the public uh, wants businesses and brands to step up and to act in the interest of employees and stakeholders and customers. They want to beat them to be an active uh, communicator with news about the pandemic. And what we've seen or what the study tells us is that those that do so uh, we'll be in a position to recover faster when the pandemic is finally behind us as a result of the deeper trust that they would have built and uh, meaningful connections that they would have created. Now, Deloitte also published an interesting piece listing five qualities that will distinguish successful leaders through the pandemic. Lead from the heart, put the mission first, speed over elegance, own your narrative and embrace the long view. Leroy and Pete, I wanted to hear from both of you. Do you think these leadership qualities translate into brands as well? And how do they complement what Matt just shared? Yeah, I can take that one. When we look at the leadership qualities that are emerging, it translates both to the employee experience and how the nature of the future of work and how that'll change. It also translates to how these companies interact with their customers. And we talked a little earlier about the need to redefine customer journeys for the next normal. 
And one of the buzzwords we were using even before the pandemic situation was this idea of identifying the moments that matter, right? And by doing that, you sort of elevate the human experience into your company's interaction with customers. You ask questions like, what is the situation of my target customer? What are they doing before that helps them identify that they need my product or what problem are they facing that they need to solve where my product can be the solution to that. And and so that just became more obvious with these issues around trust and response and the statistics that Matt pointed out tell us that the consumer focused companies that made themselves uh, available and easy to do business with are the brands that consumers will remember and that will continue to work with. And I don't think that's really going away. So that need to reevaluate the customer journey from the context of the pain points, the hardship, the, the angst that a consumer may be facing, or just the convenience that the consumer needs. That's as more important than it ever has been. And it's, it's always been a healthy exercise periodically to reevaluate customer experience. Now, if it's something that an organization hasn't done recently, it needs to be done now. And then along with that, I think, you know, the kind of the next topic around that is, is the whole data infrastructure needed to do that effectively. And, you know, that's another one of these capabilities that some companies were fairly advanced on, but most companies were lagging. And so, you know, that's another trend that we're seeing in order to, to deliver those messages, in order to demonstrate the appropriate type of leadership and convenience and availability as a business, you need that deep infrastructure of cross-channel customer data. So the, what that translates to in terms of actual work is we, we're seeing kind of an uptick in pipeline around, for example, customer data platforms that tie together transactional and event data from stores, from a brand's commerce site, any marketplaces that they sell on, any social media interactions they have through social channels, and then potentially even in-store for those brands that have a retail presence where user has a loyalty card and they identify themselves in store. So bringing all those things together to better understand the customer's needs, behaviors, and really pick out those moments that matter to the customer. That's kind of the, the trend that I think is coming out of that. Thanks, Pete. Yara, do you have anything else to add? I was thinking what a great synergy there is between um, between our list and the Edelman report. When you talk about what distinguishes successful leaders from a human sense, I think it's very, very similar with brands. I think we're seeing that actually play out right now in some of the brand responses that are happening to the political situations overseas. So I think to go back to what Matt said, I think people do look for credibility. They're turning to brands that they can trust. And I think we've seen that in everything from people turning to restaurants for takeaway that they trust that are doing the right thing in food preparation all the way to the brands that they're trusting in their first forays into e-commerce. So, yes, I think the brands connect the best when they're emotionally connected and they're human traits. I think you can absolutely take those same five qualities um, and apply them to brands. The Chinese character for crisis has two meanings, danger and opportunity. Although COVID-19 has turned the customer-brand relationship fragile and delicate, what may be the price for brands that successfully managed to nurture that relationship? Pitt, any thoughts on this? Yeah, and this is a line that you hear in China, you never wasted crisis. And it doesn't have the negative connotation, especially when it's 
said in Mandarin, it's viewed as an opportunity to improve yourself, improve your business, improve your offering, make yourself more relevant, more valuable, more meaningful to customers. And that has been, I think, a real focus in the China market. I think that's been one of the cultural aspects that have helped them through recovery. And so we've seen people go back out where they can, where lockdowns have ended. We've seen people back in stores, back in, in restaurants. We've seen pretty good social discipline around wearing masks and distancing where they're supposed to. But we've also seen a lot of those behaviors around consumer engagement, online engagement have, have not changed, have not gone away. And we still see brands trying to improve themselves in that area, you know, recognizing that this is a make or break time, right? There's, there has been a shift in market share across a lot of different product categories. And so, you know, that need to stay relevant is still there. And given the complexity of the pandemic, the road to recovery will likely be long and uncoordinated. Leora, I wanted to hear from you. How can brands think about their customer and brand progression from the response phase through the current recover phase and into the thrive phase? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure we can look at it in a linear before, now, after. I think there's going to be a long period of adjustment as those restrictions slowly lift um, and consumer behaviour then reacts and adjusts to that. So there'll probably be, I love that we've moved from talking about a new normal to the next normal. I think there'll probably be a next normal and a next normal and a next normal before it feels like we've settled down into what we're probably comfortable then referring to um, as a new normal. The respond phase you know, that was very much about survival and about adapting quickly. Uh, most brands and most companies now would be in what we call the recover phase, so making sure they're really in a position to do well. The thrive phase, though, that's the most interesting, I think, for many brands because this is an opportunity to really rethink things and reinvent for the future. To go back to kind of what I was saying earlier, although things may not shift permanently, I think the last few months gave everybody a bit of a crystal ball and a glimpse into the what if. So I think we've had a really good look into where things are headed. Um, and, you know, and it might be that once things are returned to normal, it might still be another few years before we get to, I guess, the digital adoption that we had over that period of time. But I think that this is the good time to use that and reflect and think, you know, what's the future of brand and business? How do you need to change to be a leader in your market? And I think it's not, it's definitely not a linear process to think about it either. Yeah. So a lot of brands are looking already at the, the thrive phase and looking at how to reinvent while they're taking a more recovery focused look at activities. All right, and now to wrap up our discussion looking beyond COVID-19, and this is where I want to get a little bit personal here. Can you share with us what innovations you are most excited about? Matt, let's start with you. I guess there's not really one individual innovation or one specific innovation that I'm super excited about. I think it's more about you know seeing how companies are going to adapt and, and change as we, and, and also consumers are going to change as we come out of lockdowns in many places and as the as we continue to live through this this period of the, the pandemic and the various different spaces that we've mentioned uh, already. I think there's a lot out there already in terms of technologies that companies can look at. From a customer service perspective, there's been a huge increase in the amount of um, customer service engagements that have been taking place on platforms like WhatsApp, for example, 
um, and even uh, the reliance on, on AI bots and the adoption of those things, which um, has been accelerated as a result of um, of the pandemic. So uh, I think you know how uh, companies adapt and how many of these behaviors are going to uh, remain changed uh, as a result of the pandemic is what I'm looking forward to sort of seeing and understanding. I also think that you know the better that we can understand people, the, the more effective that we can we can be from a digital marketing perspective. So for example, using psychographics or behavioral science to be able to understand people, you know, what impacts them, how they're going to adapt uh, after and into the next few few months or six months to, uh, to a year is going to be important as well. And I'm, I'm excited to see how that evolves. Thanks, man. And Leora, what about you? Yeah, so similarly, it's not an innovation, but one of the things I found most fascinating um, was the real move towards local. So supporting local businesses, local brands, but at the same time having this huge surge towards what's essentially a global online digital marketplace. So I just found that a really interesting juxtaposition and I'm really interested to see how that that plays out. Um, so it's not, not an innovation, but it's definitely a space that I'm watching. All right. And finally, Pete, what gets you really excited? You know, if I think the most interesting thing for me is going to be seeing how this shift in work from home or office culture changes, right? So there's, you've had some of the pioneer companies that have said, uh, you know, employees never need to come back into the office. Work from home will always be an option. And then you kind of take this out to its logical extension and you get into like call centers or, you know, where potentially maybe we'll need less call centers and the call center agents who used to take phone calls and respond to chats, they're now working from their homes and they're and the company, instead of investing in a call center, gives them some money to fix up their space and they can take you know your typical service calls from home. Maybe they even have a camera set up and they can do video and then potentially they can do sales as well so that in-store sales associate experience can be replaced through video chat and picture a call center agent who's who's actually got product in their house and they can walk a customer through show them you know a couple different types of blenders or here you know around my back wall here are the four leading refrigerators that we sell and 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 let me walk you through the features all through a video call this is just kind of a natural outcome of this move and this comfort with video conferencing. And I think it's a real innovation. You know, it's not long ago, most corporate offices have that video conference room and it's that special conference room with the big TV. So you can you can do these things. And we've sort of shifted that into this Zoom model. And, pro- you know, probably the one thing that much of the world is lacking is kind of the killer app for video conversation. So China has it right. So in China, Everyone on their phone, one of the apps almost everyone has is uh, Ding Talk, which is, or in China, it's called Ding Ding. It's from Alibaba. And it's basically, you know, your Zoom plus your WhatsApp messenger plus some like Facebook, like social platform all in one. And it's, it's the killer app in that anyone would have it and customer agent could initiate just by having your phone number could ask to be your friend or connection and then initiate a customer service call and you can remove them after that or whatever. So I think we'll, I think the rest of the world's going to get there and it'll be interesting to see how that aspect of engagement evolves. Well, that was definitely a very insightful session. Thank you for sharing your perspectives on customer engagement and how brands can uphold and earn trust throughout the COVID-19 crisis. And that's it for today's episode of Thriving in Volatile Times. I'd like to thank our guests once again for joining us on this episode, Matt, Leora, and P. Thank you. 
Now, if you want to comment on this podcast or the topics covered, you can send us an email. The email address is cpodcasts at deloitte.com. That's spelled S-E-A podcasts at deloitte.com. Or head on to our website, Thriving in Volatile Times. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get the latest episodes. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. I am Dishoff, and until next time.